UX Podcast Episode 265. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge since 2011. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson. And Pat Axbom. With listeners in 199 countries and territories around the world, from Venezuela to Kuwait. From time to time, we bring you a repeat show. This is an episode from our extensive back catalogue, resurfacing some of the ideas and thoughts from the past that we believe are still relevant and well worth revisiting. And today we are bringing you our conversation with Whitney Hess from the summer of 2015. And during her visit to Sweden, we talked to Whitney about her journey from producer of wireframes to coaching UXers. And this interview, I know, at least for you, Per, is quite a... Um, it's a quite a pivotal, pivotal moment in your UX career. It really is, because that same autumn of 2015, I signed up uh, to learn coaching. I, I attended a coaching course for, for six months, because uh, I'd been entertaining that idea for a while, and, and this really, I think, pushed me over and, and made me do it. Hmm. And, and on top of that, we do actually, the gang of people we met up with during that time we spent with Whitney and yes. Frederick, her um, chef, um, partner. Um, we still actually do meet up and chat quite regularly. Yes. So I'm really looking forward to the chance that next time um, that Whitney does have the chance to come across and to see us again in Sweden. Definitely. You tweeted us on Sunday and we're sitting here, it's Tuesday, and uh, we're sitting down in James's studio. Yeah, that's, that's our first West Coast visitor to, to the actual studio. Yeah. We normally do these things over Skype. So we had no idea you were in Sweden, which was fun. So why are you in Sweden? Well, first of all, thank you for even having me. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so glad it worked out like, it, like this. Once again, the power of Twitter. So I didn't expect to be in Stockholm. Um, I was originally just coming to Sweden to visit my boyfriend Frederick's mom for her 70th birthday. And they have a home about six hours north. Ah, okay. And so we've been there for the last couple weeks, and I thought we were going to be up there the whole time, but then an opportunity arose to come down here because Frederick's uncle lives in Sasha Bowden, and is still up there with his mom. So we got a chance to come and stay at his place for a few days. So right, here we are. That's just up the road. That's not too far away at all. Yeah. Talk about it. So I'm a huge fan, actually. Have been for many years. Uh, reading your blog. And basically following whatever you've written. Because there, it's always been so enlightening in some way. And you yourself, I've heard you say that you want to push the boundaries of what UX is. Mm. And I think you really have. Actually. Thank you. We've read, read it out. Yes, so. read your definitions before. How is the wallpaper business? I loved <laughs> that episode, not just because you were talking about my stuff, but you, you were very funny, so thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing my UX definition with your listeners. Mm. What we want to talk about today, primarily, I think, is you've done this fantastic journey over the last couple of years, going from being much of a producer of wireframes as 
many, many, many of us are today, to someone who coaches other people for six months at a time, I don't know how often a week, and that just seems so appealing to me. I've, I've talked about it, but I, I've thought about but how would I sell something like that? Because I realized how useful it would be for my clients to actually have someone on board for a longer period of time and not just deliver stuff that they can't, they can't take care of in the mm-hmm. end. Exactly. So tell us a bit about that journey. Okay. Well, um, many years ago when I was getting very tired of staying up all night uh, doing wireframes because of the very tight deadlines that I was on as a consultant, I had lunch with a friend who um, shared a piece of wisdom with me. I had asked him, how do I get more user research projects where they're really hiring me for the insights about their customer base and not so much about whether I can drop boxes on the page for them because I don't think this is really useful. And I told him I have this whole process that I go through, but it seems like every time I try to eliminate wireframes you know, from the projects, they won't hire me. And he said, well, you know, people hire you for the last deliverable you give them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, they just put up with everything that you do beforehand. The real reason they hired you was for the wireframes. So you need to stop offering to do wireframes if you don't want to do wireframes. And that was a real revelation for me. And so in my subsequent projects, I just removed everything after essentially strategy phase because that was what I really wanted to be focusing on because I had found over the years that even though I loved the design and I got so much satisfaction mm-hmm. out of the design phase, it wasn't having the same the, the um, long-lasting impact on the company that I wanted it to. Yeah. And so once I was gone, all that thinking came with me and the company didn't really benefit. So I, after that, kind of went on this um, this journey to insert myself earlier and earlier and earlier in the process to the point when I then started to ask myself, what would my business look like if I had no deliverables at all? <laughs> and it was a crazy thought. So hang on. You, you, you decided <laughs> that I don't want to do wireframes. You yes. stopped doing them. I it just seems so mind-blowingly <laughs> simple, but it must have taken... I mean, did people question you? I mean, what's going on and what's happening here? Why aren't you doing the stuff that you used to do? Yes, people did question mm. me, and I had to get very good at explaining why it was still important to hire me, even mm. though I wasn't going to do the wireframes. Mm. Mm. So with each step of my trajectory of how I mature my business, I have to get even better at communicating my value. And so over the years, I've put far more emphasis into becoming a better communicator than I have becoming a better designer. Mm. And as a result, I'm not so much of a designer anymore, but I am doing work that I consider to be very beneficial to companies over the long term because I'm now enabling them to do the design work for themselves using the principles that we so deeply believe in. 
rather than that all living in my head, them giving the work away to me, and then me trying to convince them of the solution later on. Well, you're also you're, you're giving them the tools in order to communicate further down the chain. Yes. So, so give, helping them come with the ideas and, and, and designs, but then they've got to communicate. Because communication doesn't vanish. I mean, if you're delivering wireframes and so on, then they, they, they need to be explained often or they're communicated. So then you've got to help them have the tools to communicate to stakeholders or to, to other members of the team instead. And it's so much more credible mm. when it's coming from someone internally. Yeah. Because now they have developed a stronger relationship with their superiors, with their peers in other departments, the people that they have to collaborate with to actually make it a reality. Mm. And they believe in it and they own the solution because they came up with it themselves. Mm. And now they're learning how to navigate the politics of the organization in order to create sustainable change. Whereas... I was like coming in with a sledgehammer. I mean, that's really what a consultant is. It's like, okay, we're ready for a change. Whack. And even though that can be very um, beneficial in the short term, I have found that the quicker you change things, the more easily they can change back. Mm. The slower the change, the harder it is to change back because it's been gradual over time. Mm. And it's one inch at a time and that's what coaching is coaching is not coming in with a sledgehammer and saying you guys are morons you do everything wrong let me show you the genius of user experience that's going to solve all of your problems and we're going to do everything differently from now on instead it's saying okay i really understand why you're in this situation and i hear that you have a vision for another way to be What are the baby steps that we can take, the new habits that we can help you form Mm -hmm. as individuals and as a team so that when you live in those little habits, eventually that will change your behavior enough that you change the story of who you are as a team, as a company, slowly over time. I mean, I I say that I do coaching. And that's um, that's almost always the case when when I'm working tightly with with one client so a representative from a company and i've got a relationship mm-hmm. with them and they've they've come to me and they've hired me for a particular thing but but you you develop a relationship with them and you learn from them the the nuances of their organization oh because you don't say as a consultant you are the sledgehammer mm-hmm. and i don't know that you know that word is a trigger word to that manager and it's going to make him go back into his shell and never approve anything but maybe your client does know that so you can have that yes. you know relationship and dialogue and, and, and help them or educate them or coach them into to understanding what you're doing and what you need to work on and then they can then take it further exactly. um, internally. And not only managers, I mean developers well, yeah. as well. well yeah. I, I'm sitting quite tightly with a team right now and especially one of the developers, uh, we've got this excellent dialogue going on and we've been sitting like literally 10 feet apart and we've come to the point now after working almost two and a half years together that he's doing stuff because he knows how 
I would do it and he understands mm-hmm. the reasoning behind it. And he, sometimes some, someone back asked me, so I don't really need you, do I? <laughs> what, are, what are you here for? And I said, I'm here to make you feel confident in making those uh, changes and, and taking those decisions. Yeah. But in the, in the end, it's true. There is he doesn't need me. There is wingman. Which is fantastic. Doesn't it feel amazing? Yes. yes. Yeah. I get so much mm. more satisfaction mm. out of getting no credit now mm. than I ever did out of getting all the credit. Yeah. Mm. Because I know that they truly changed. They truly learned something. Their approach changed the way that they think, the way that they want to serve their customers. They've internalized it. And so no longer being needed by my clients is the best gift they <laughs> could give me. Yeah, I like, it, I like it when you're sat in a presentation or a meeting and... Uh, the person you've been working with they're up there and they're talking yes. and you can hear bits of yourself <laughs> coming yeah. out and you're thinking that's excellent now I've, I've managed to get mm. I've, I've got something across I've, I've made a difference because mm. now I've got them to see with other eyes maybe this particular aspect of the project and they've taken a new angle on it and they, they don't need me in the same sense but yeah. the journey was needed yeah to you you're just reminding me of two experiences that I had with clients that I feel really illustrate um, what coaching is all about for me. Um, the first was with a small startup where I was brought in to help them conduct some user research. They were at this tipping point where they were about to experience a lot of growth and they really wanted to better understand the ways that they should be designing new products. And I was with one of the founders of the company doing all of these user interviews And in a cab ride between interviews, he starts sharing with me how he's really worried about his other co-founder. He's working himself to the bone. Um, They've been really disagreeing on the mission for the company moving forward. They're not seeing eye to eye. And in this 20-minute cab ride, I was able to just listen to him, hear him, and offer him some tools for how to improve his communication with his co-founder because they were both fried and they had been working on this for two years and, you know, a lot of things happened between people over that that time. I am more proud of the result of that 20-minute cab ride than I am of any of the user interviews that I did because the reality is learning the best practices for how to conduct a user interview to yield the best possible data and insight, it's not rocket science. Mm. It really Mm. isn't. Yes, there are subtleties that we develop over time as we mature our own practice to understand how to read body language, how, Mm. what, what the next best question to ask, how to not, you know, roll people over. Of course we learn those things, but he needed someone to empathize with him in that moment. And he needed to be heard and he, needed a better way to communicate with his co-founder. Another situation that comes up that I'm reminded of is um, a a company in New York that I was working with that I've actually done many projects with. And um, the first time I met them, they had just brought a team of people together that had been working together for five plus years, but they were now brought together to be a prototyping team because they had never had any kind of user experience in the company. Mm. And they were bringing me in to help them establish a process. And before the official meeting started, I was there a few minutes early. We're sitting in the conference room, six of us, and I'm not yet on 
heavy quotes on mm-hmm. teaching them something or sharing something about what we're going to do together. I'm just like, oh, hey, you know, how's it going? Getting to know each individual that I've never met. And somehow it comes up that one guy who's a total nerd used to be the uh, lead singer in a heavy metal band that toured the U.S. and was like really popular yeah. wow. 10, 15 years ago. Another guy has astigmatism in his eye because he was a champion archery player, archer, I guess, when he was in high school and was, you know, had all these awards. One woman was from Russia and she had come to visit New York when she was 18 years old on holiday and fell so in love with it she never went back. (laughs) There was just one story after the Mm -hmm. next that just came up in the first five minutes of meeting them Mm -hmm. and none of them knew these stories about them, about each other. Yeah. Wow. So in the first five minutes of meeting them, even though I didn't say user experience is the practice by Mm -hmm. which you do Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z, just taking the time for them to get to know each other on a human level and learn those things mm. about each other completely transformed the dynamic of their team. And mm. of course mm. they work better together. Of course they appreciate one another more and they want to get, en- get mm. to know each other more now. And that to me is the essence of what user experience is. Mm. Forget about the interviews, the personas, mm. the wireframes, seeing the other people you work with and the people that you serve mm. as human beings mm. and being constantly curious about them that that to me is is at the core of what we do, and that's what I think my coaching lets me do. Beautiful story. Thank you. Uh, and I know that identity is something you've explored uh, in multiple locations as well. Uh, in your first episode, since I listened to, to the, in your <laughs> podcast, uh, designing yourself, uh, you were talking about, and it was amazing because I listened to the ten first ten fifteen minutes, and I realized, oh my god, this is exactly what I'm going through right now, mm-hmm. because oh, you have this problem of where do I post this content, which is so much more personal than other content on my blog. Mm. And so, and you, and you ended up doing it on medium and that's what I did last year as mm-hmm. well. I ended up with medium and you're so afraid of it. I don't know, people seeing you for who you are, yeah. which in, in the story you just told, it yeah. just shows how important it is. And you shouldn't listen to those people who maybe put you down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also, the whole yeah. thing that it's, it's, it's actually easier to be yourself than to mm. maintain a facade mm. over a long period of time. Yes. Mm. So if, you, if you're branding yourself or yeah. pitching yourself a certain thing, then that's something you've got to mm. work on constantly. You've got to be aware of it, hyper aware of it. And that takes energy. Whereas if you are just you, that doesn't really take that much energy. In a way, mm-hmm. I agree. I really do. The energy goes into unlearning mm. all the things that we've been taught yeah. by our families, by our society, you know, mm. by people that have come into our lives over the years that have convinced us in some way that being fully ourselves is somehow wrong and should be avoided. Mm. And especially the messages that we get in the Western world about the separation between work and life. I mean, it is, it's wild that we talk about work life balance. Work is a part of life. Mm. Life is the whole thing. Mm. And we are the same person human being whether we're in the office or out of the office and that compartmentalization that many of us are taught to develop gets in the way of truly connecting with the other people 
that we work with and truly connecting with our customers. Because now that we're only a sliver of our true selves in the workplace, we're the professional version. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to admit anything about my past. I'm not going to admit anything about you know what I did this weekend or my relationship or anything. I'm just, I'm all work. There's no emotions involved. How can we possibly understand the emotions of our customers? How can we possibly connect with them fully if we are compartmentalizing ourselves and fragmenting ourselves? So a big part of what I aim to do now as a coach is to help people reintegrate and I mean actually align their minds, the thing that we value more than anything else in our culture, their hearts, so their emotional selves, and their bodies. Because the reason why the two co-founders that I mentioned earlier were struggling was because they were physically unwell, because Mm. all they were doing was working all day, every day for two years to try to get this company off the ground. And they weren't doing their best work anymore because they were exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, Your physical body is a big part of it too. And just sitting down and eating lunch together and enjoying one another and making a practice of saying, over lunch, we're not talking about work. Mm -hmm. That's now a practice of these other clients of mine because they realized that their existing practices got in the way of them knowing each other as people. Wow. I think that's actually uh, a perfect note to end on it. James's uh, children are coming into the studio as well. And you know what? <laughs> it couldn't be more fitting because James has children <laughs> and that's yeah, worth just... knowing and you can't keep life out all the time. No, I can try. Sorry. Oh, yeah. that's I'm in a real, the biggest challenge yeah. is my, my headset. I'm, I have such <laughs> nightmares with this little headset. I'm you have a great sneak... set. I have oh, this big I yellow ball <laughs> of a microphone. You guys have these great like Madonna headsets. Yeah. <laughs> but I end up just dragging everything with me when I try to shut the door. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about as well. Please. You live on a sailboat. Our listeners don't know that. <laughs> For how long have you lived on a sailboat? We have (laughs) lived aboard since October of last year, so less than a year. We live in San Diego, California right now, and it is a wonderful lifestyle. Mm. We have very few belongings anymore, and it really is a simple way to live. Mm. It certainly has its challenges. I'm not going to pretend that everything's easy. We have very little space between Frederick and myself. And when I have uh, calls and he's off, we've got to, you know, he's got to go somewhere. I have to go somewhere. So I have had an office. Um, it's It's been wonderful. We are on our way to a new destination, though, and we have yet to figure out where. Okay. But we are going. We are currently exploring this summer, looking for different places that we may want to live. And once we figure it out, then we'll figure out how to get our boat there. Yeah. Also, the boat. Yeah, so the boat's mm. still a boat because sometimes you get the, the fixed, oh, yes. the fixed moored somewhere. But it you can, does you can actually fact, sail around. It does, in fact, sail. Yeah. And we live in a marina now. Yeah. Um, we have to do some upgrades to it to get it a very far distance. Mm. But mm. we're excited. Yeah, we're. we're we're both um, very fortunate to be independent and be able to travel. And it's exciting to be here in Sweden. It's only my second time and my first time in Stock in the mm. Stockholm area. So, mm. yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun life. Yeah. I think even that's inspirational because 
you it seems like you've been so brave you really challenged what life is about and you've gone, well, gone life is expected to be and and gone after gone after what you think is right with the coaching stuff as, as well i mean yeah. so it's it seems like you're really living the way you preach which is kind of, kind of cool trying mm-hmm. really hard and it comes with a lot of sacrifice mm-hmm. you know we don't have the stable home and all the stuff mm-hmm. that you get to buy and put in it and and we don't have kids and we don't have pets and we don't have all sorts of things that people value having in their life. We don't live near family. Mm. Um, that's something we've had to sacrifice for now because we see this part of our lives, this time in our lives as being the best time for us to go and explore an adventure. And there's time for that later, we hope. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Life is short and we're just trying to live as much of it as we can. Mm-hmm. And and I feel that with my business too. Um, I don't want to be thinking about how I could have done it differently. Even if it scares me, I want to push myself to try. And so far, it's been working out really well. Awesome. I think it's excellent. Yeah. And hope you keep on having adventures. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm so glad my adventures <laughs> led me here today. And thank you so much yeah, for too. wanting to do this recording. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Every now and then we have, we have interviews or conversations um, with people on the UX podcast where you know, they really are quite reflective moments. But for me anyway. Uh, I mean, the podcast, <laughs> I think reflective I mean, for me one of well, the things absolutely. that yeah. the whole, as in both of us, we do this podcast actually primarily because we learn so much and we love mm-hmm. talking to people and, and, and thinking and playing with some of the, the ideas and concepts and, and um, subject matter that gets thrown at us by, by mm-hmm. guests. But this chat with Whitney was one of those ones where I could I, I very introspective and reflective afterwards and, and mm-hmm. seeing a, a, a lot of myself in what she was saying and 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 the journey okay you, you're different starting points and maybe you know different things on the way but but as a, as, a, as a journey um after so long in the industry i i can i can relate to a lot of what she was saying um um with coaching and i i even um have noticed since doing that interview um well me and you have talked an awful lot about coaching and uh, i've started using the explanation of coaching um in describing what i do an awful lot more in the in the in the eight weeks since we um talked to whitney yeah and i've even started a course for becoming a coach uh, a certified coach. you start you started doing a course it's not like you're hosting your own you're yeah actually, no you're exactly, taking yeah. a course now. Taking, yeah. i'm taking a course so i'm not doing it doing it uh, it's true uh, just realizing that how how can i do my best work how can i make a difference what what's can I do with all the knowledge I have? And I could keep producing stuff, but as we've now just talked to, to Whitney about, uh, is that when we produce stuff, we're not helping people become better at their job. We're, we're not. Well, the thing is, I, I often come into companies and I help them do interaction design and I help them produce deliverables and I uh, work with the developers to produce a result. And but the people actually working at the company, uh, they don't have ownership of that product. They don't know much about it. Uh, and of course, when I come back one or two years later, a lot of the stuff that we produced is gone. Mm. And that's been the case for almost my entire working life mm. <laughs> since the late 90s. 
And uh, now I'm realizing more and more that if I can actually people get people thinking for themselves about how what they can do mm. to create these products, then I'll, I'll make a bigger difference and have a better impact on what's being produced. So, and that also ties a lot. And with when we've talked to Lisa Welchman about, are you doing your best work? Mm. Our, I mean, the world is becoming digital. What is our responsibility for making the world a better place? Uh, and that sounds all high and mighty. But, but that's, spreading, that's spreading the understanding, spreading knowledge, yeah. uh, mm. which is what we try and do with the podcast mm. and, and even mm. in our work, is fundamental to that. Yeah. Um, you I mean, can't keep the knowledge to yourself. No. No, it's not effective mm. to do mm. so. Um, like, it, it, I think if you've... If you present a, a solution, mm. like whatever it is, I mean, it could be a design, it could be what, whatever kind of solution to a client's or a, <clears throat> a business problem you've got. It might have taken you days, hours, weeks, well, I don't know, it might be an awful lot of research, work, time and effort gone into that. Mm. And then you, you, they're there for that meeting and you present it and someone, maybe I don't know, goes, I'm going to use a stupid example, says, I don't like green. <laughs> and, and your and your entire your entire work just yeah. collapses in front of you in yeah. that meeting mm. because the wrong person said the wrong thing. Whereas if that if that group had been more I- included in the process, yeah. then they would have a better insight and understanding into the 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 thinking that goes on mm. to come to the point you've done. Mm. So so you know you not necessarily that's what I'm saying. Getting to the coaching aspect of that, that you, you need to coach people into the work you're doing to have a better understanding of the work you're doing, so they can better value the work you're doing, and they can replicate some of it, if not all of it, themselves mm. to make the process smoother and easier further down the line. And use you more as a person to bounce ideas off, mm. and someone to feel at home with if you're feeling unsure of something, uh, but. <laughs> which goes against being a consultant sometimes it's i mean companies do outsource uh for because they want people stuff done mm-hmm. uh, but i think it's but i think it's a fair it's a fair enough business model to have a business model where your goal is not to be needed yes i mean you know that's it's like a doctor mm. i mean their goal isn't for people to be sick a <laughs> <laughs> doctor's a doctor's goal is that they want mm. everyone to be healthy yeah and and I think that's the same for us. We want everyone to produce really good digital solutions and digital things. That's a great um, likeness. Yeah, I liked when we talked about that in, in the interview just now when we said that, yeah, what a fantastic feeling to feel not needed mm. because that means you've done your work well and you can move on and help someone else. Yeah. And I, um, I, I really like um, what Whitney said as well, that um, her advice you need to stop doing the things you don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to do wireframes, yeah. you stop doing wireframes. Yeah. She says, so you just cut them out completely. And that's a, that's, it's a bold move. And, and in some situations, you're going to struggle to, to, to take that decision. And um, you might not even be allowed <laughs> to take that decision in your current job or your True. current position. It might involve, if you, if you, mm. if you want to, change path it might involve changing jobs mm. more than once to actually eliminate um, the things that you don't want to do so you can concentrate on doing the things you do want to do and that is your and, and maybe produce your best work also then really important what Whitney's saying about that means you have to become a much better communicator because you need to help people understand why what you're producing is valuable still yeah Exactly, and and the, and the humanization mm. um, that 
that seeing the people you work with and your users as human beings um, is 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 crucial. Yeah. And, and you're crucial, crucial to, to communicating as well. You can't if you don't understand it. You're talking to humans, mm. other humans, and you're not going to be able to communicate to them. <laughs> Which then is the essence of UX. Mm. It's not about strategy or something else. It, it's about seeing people as human beings and helping them as human beings. Mm. It sounds really deep now. <laughs> Yeah, well, what we yeah. did say it, it was yeah. a very, it was a very reflective yeah. um, interview, and 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 we've we've had time because mm. this is an unusually long amount of time from us mm. recording an interview to us recording a, an intro outro. Yes, um, you know, some people maybe think we do it all in one go, but mm. we quite often mm. piece these together over a bit of time, and and, and eight weeks of reflection. Mm. That I think that that is what mm. mean what has happened to allow us to become a bit more. Well, even more reflective yeah. over it. it. We've we've thought about this a lot, and you've made some decisions mm. Mm. based on that interview that have also altered your autumn. Exactly. Um, but I I think it's a it's quite a logical natural progression the journey that Whitney's taken mm. from from production for being a, a cog in the machine mm. <laughs> um, to 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 moving up and out and making herself more involved earlier and earlier mm. in processes until she starts to see the processes from almost above and being able to just you know kind of help and enable people to do those processes mm. better becomes the the natural endpoint and how it fits into ux is completely natural it is allowing other people to do their best work as well yeah well we we both got a lot out of that conversation with whitney yeah this podcast has been a repeat show from our archives let us know which of your favorite episodes over the years you think should be repeated for more people to listen to and links and notes and a full transcript for this classic episode of UX Podcast can be found on uxpodcast.com. Don't forget to press follow or subscribe or whatever call to action button your podcasting client of choice is presenting you with, if you haven't already pressed it. And remember, you can contribute to funding the show by visiting uxpodcast.com slash support. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Last week, broke into my house and stole 20% of my couch. Ouch.